to go through, right? <laughs> All right, well, bo- both of you guys are enjoying it. So the others of you, hey, we're in the book of Jonah. This is our fourth week, you know, just kind of, you ought to check it out. It's got some good stuff. I think when we look at the prophet, um, we have a lot to relate to him with. I think that Jonah is a lot like us. We'll get into that today. Uh, I think we have a lot in similarities. It's an interesting book because there's only really one verse in which God speaks uh, and he speaks on behalf of God. It's eight words in, in, uh, in, the, in the English, five words in the, in the Hebrew, where he tells Nineveh, you have 30 days to repent and change. Someone get me a thing of water. Uh, Keith, can you grab one? Uh, it, change or overturn or something bad's going to come. So they have one verse. The other 47 verses is about Jonah for primarily about Jonah, and which kind of gives you a little glimpse into perhaps some of, some of Jonah's struggles that he has. So we've been looking at this outline or this map as we've been going through. And just to give you a visual, because I think it's powerful to see, we have where, where he comes from Gath Heifer, where at letter A is. He drops down to Joppa. He decides that's where chapter 1, where God says, hey, the word of the Lord came to him. Go to Nineveh. And so he jumps on a ship. Instead of going 500 miles to, uh, to Nineveh, he decides that he's going to jump on a ship and he's going to go to Tarshish, which it would be modern day. Thank you which would be modern-day Spain today. And so he is going to go, in his mind, he is going to go to the farthest extreme, opposite direction that God is calling him. And when you look at that, I mean, it's 180 degrees off of where God's calling him, right? And so he leaves, and he thinks he's going to be able to flee from God, and he's going to head about 2,500 miles to Tarshish. In the meantime, a storm comes in his life to get his attention, and they end up throwing him over in chapter 1, Chapter 2, at the end of chapter 1, he gets swallowed by a fish. Chapter 2, he comes to repent. He acknowledges uh, that salvation comes in the name of God. He makes a vow with God. We don't know what the vow is, but it probably went something like this. Lord, get me out of here, and I'll do whatever you want me to do. Right? <clears throat> so this, at the end of chapter 2, the, the fish vomits out Jonah onto, onto dry land, not to Nineveh. It wasn't a projectile flying across, you know, 1,200 miles or so. Spits him out onto the sea. Jonah makes his way to Nineveh, and he proclaims eight words in the in the English, five words in the Hebrew, where he tells them to forty days, and Nineveh will be overturned. Overturned. Excuse me. All right, Nineveh will be overturned, and so a very short message. He proclaims that, and then something amazing happens. Perhaps the greatest revival. In, 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 a, in, a, in the whole world, 120,000 people repent. And remember, as I said last week, Nineveh was the epic uh, center of kind of the culture. So it would be like if I said, you know, what's the, uh, what's the center of, of the movies? And we would say Hollywood. And what's the center of computers? We'd say Silicon Valley. And if we said fashion, everyone would say New York. So it was really the center of, of the culture and 120,000 of those people uh, gave their, gave, you know, trusted in, in God. So it would be like tomorrow we woke up and we read in the newspaper, or you get on the internet, and you, and you see that all of Hollywood producers have surrendered to Christ, given their talents and their abilities to proclaim Jesus to the four corners of this world, and 
the, all the uh, casino owners in Vegas have all given up all their rooms to help out the poor and those who are homeless. I mean, imagine waking up Monday morning and reading that. Well, that's what it would be like for Nineveh to repent and to change. And we have in the top of your outline, I'm not going to read it all because for time's sake, but we have where the king, uh, he arises from his throne, he takes off his robe, which was a, a, a form of surrendering his position, and he is going to put on sackcloth, it's, which is a form of repentance and humbling. He's going to sit in the dust, again, a way of, of, of humbling himself. He's going to proclaim to all the folks in Nineveh to do the same thing, to put on sackcloth and even cover the cattle and so forth with the sackcloth as a form of, of humbling themselves before God. And in verse 9, he says, And who knows, maybe God may yet relent and with compassion turn his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And that's the king's kind of hope at that point is that, that God would turn from them. And of course then, you know, the 120,000 <clears throat> give their life and repent and trust in God. All right. Now, if Jonah was a modern-day pastor and he were to speak and 120,000 people were to give their life to, to Christ, he would be like a rock star. He would be on the cover of Christianity Today. He would speak in conferences all over the world. He would write books. People would ask for his autograph. And his message may be something like this. Preach shorter messages. The people will enjoy it. And uh, just eight words and get them out of here, right? <laughs> All right, 40 days in Oakley. <laughs> yeah, take an offering and get out of here, right? Um, so, so he would be like a rock star. You know, everyone would consider him to be an absolute hero. And just imagine, I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity, but there's nothing more exciting than to be a part of an instrument that God uses of leading someone to Christ, whether it be you, that person, leading them in that prayer or just being the one that plants the seed in their life to know that they've given their life to Jesus. Boy, there is nothing that fires up the jets in a believer's life than when God uses them in that miraculous way. And here, Jonah, 120,000 give their life to, to God. And so what is his response? Well, Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. Here it is. But Jonah was greatly, what? And became angry. It's almost confusing. I mean, 120,000 people. And, and remember Nineveh, what were they known for? I mean, they were known for being absolute brutal, right? Th these were the people that when, when they would go to war, other tribes and other people, groups, and countries would rather commit suicide than fight these guys. Because they were known for capturing men and filleting them, taking their skin completely off their body while they're still alive, burying them in the sand for them to die a slow, agonizing death. And when people would hear about them coming after them, they're like, you know what, I'd, fall, I'd rather fall on the sword than have to fight with these crazy people. And, and so, so here it is, he preaches to turn, you got 40 days, 120,000 give their life to God, they become where they, they, they begin fearful of God. They begin to have reverence for God. And he is greatly displeased. In your outline, it comes from two Hebrew words, and we're not going to spend all the time on it. But greatly dis displeased means evil to burn with anger. And again, it's almost confusing. 
that, that you, you would think that he would be absolutely ecstatic about what just took place. That 120,000 people have changed from their evil ways, and he is angry, and he sees what God has done as evil. And he is that upset with what God has done in their lives. Verse 2. So he prays to the Lord. O Lord, this is not what is this not what I said when I was still at home? And you want to know why he left uh, uh, instead of going to, going to Nineveh, went to Tarshish? Well, here it is. That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a, what are you? Gracious and God. Slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Verse 3. Now, O Lord, take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Pretty confusing. Pretty confusing. Here's why I think that we can relate to Jonah. Because all of us have a whole lot of Jonah in us. All of us are quick to experience God's grace and God's mercy a second time, a third time, a fifth time, a thousandth time. But in our mind, there are people and groups of people that don't deserve it. But we can sit here today and we could be excited about experiencing His grace. And what's interesting as we, as we continue to kind of plow through, that we recognize that Jonah only prayed two times. Once in the belly of the fish, and once when his back was against the wall and he was angry at God because God, God touched their hearts. And here's the, here's the challenge for us. It is when we pray and we seek God on behalf of other people, that our hearts are softened. If we just look at ourselves, and we create kind of a holy huddle, hey, if Jesus comes back tonight, I'm in. If, if my heart explodes this evening and I die of a heart attack, I'm in. I'm, in. I'm going to spend all eternity in the presence of, of a holy God. Hallelujah. Bummer for them. But prayer softens our heart for other people. Jonah prays two times. See, here's the temptation for all of us in your outline, number one. Do you only pray when tragedy strikes? It's a temptation, isn't it? Isn't it true that our, our, our prayer life elevates when we have hard times? Hey, when we're in the belly of the fish, oh, Lord, get me out of this mess. When, when, when we hear about hardship or family members and so forth. Oh, Lord. But as long as everything's going well, job's good, kid's good, marriage good, got a few uh, pieces of food in the refrigerator, got a couple shekels in the bank, life's good. But when we have hardship in our life, all of a sudden our prayer life elevates. And we lose out. We lose out on the power of recognizing that prayer isn't just about rescuing. Prayer is about interceding for other people. Prayer is about interceding for family members and for people that are far from God. Prayer is, is, is crying out to God on their behalf. That His mercy and His grace would reach down and touch them so that it would soften our heart. 
to see them as people who desperately need Christ. Right? And so he prays just twice. The danger is in your outline that we settle for a crisis-driven relationship with God. That's, that's what we settle for. Boy, when things are bad, it's like me and God, two peas in a pod. I can't get enough of him. When everything's going good, it's like, well, I'm not sure if I really have time. I'm kind of busy. Got a lot of things going on. If I can fit him in my schedule, I think I will. When I'm in the belly of the fish, oh, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I promise you I'll do whatever. And we end up, you know, making deals with God in our life. Verse 2 says, as I read earlier, he prayed to the Lord, O Lord, this is not what I, is this not what I said when I was still at home? Verse 3, the Lord, he he said, I'd rather take my, take my life and die than for them, for the folks in Nineveh to experience God's grace. Pretty harsh. We can sit here and we can just, we want to pick up our rocks and we want to throw them at Jonah. How could he be so ungrateful? What an ungrateful person. Let me ask you. Is there a person that you need to forgive? See, I know we can go into my conference room and you could tell me a story about what they did and we could all agree that it was horrible. It's horrific. And you're holding on to it. You're not willing to forgive them. In fact, in your mind right now, you want to stand up and tell me why you shouldn't. But you want his forgiveness. Isn't it true? Right? And we say, oh, I just want God to be fair. No, you don't. You don't want God to be fair. If, you, if God was fair, folks, none of us would have a personal relationship with the holy God. Right? We don't want fair. We want grace. But when it comes to somebody else who's harmed us and hurt us, we're kind of like Jonah, aren't we? They don't deserve it. Because isn't it true that Pastor Dan's sins are horrible, that yours aren't hardly bad at all? Right? And so we we elevate others' sins, and we diminish ours to kind of go, oh, well, I mean, God, he wouldn't be upset with me for that. Right? This This is Jonah's wrestling. And he had every right to say that these were horrific people, horrible people. And yet God's grace was for all of them, not not just for him. Number two in your outline. We are quick to accept God's forgiveness, but slow to give it, aren't we? We're quick to get it, but we're a little slow, a little delayed when it comes to giving it out. You have a friend who slandered you? Come on, be honest. You sit on the couch... And you visualize how you would like to have that person's life, maybe not end, but be extremely painful, right? It's church, you're supposed to be honest. Come on, right? You ever drive down Highway 4? That's why we don't have church decals. We used to have church decals. And I got a phone call one day. 
Hey, are you the pastor? Yeah. Somebody in your church have a green minivan. And I'm thinking, yeah, we have a couple people that have a green minivan. Now, my wife didn't have one. Hers were blue, so I asked the person if they were colorblind. But I know, it's a whole different thing. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> she's not in there. She's in the back. <laughs> and if you rat me out, I'll disown all of you. All right? <laughs> so the person's like, you need to talk to that person because, you know, they did X, Y, and Z and we're cutting people off. And, I, and I'm thinking this, right? You know me. I'm thinking... If I had the authority to walk into a person's life in my church and say, listen, you need to mind, you need to get along, you need to drive like, you're, like, you, like you deserve a driver's license, you need to be compassionate to other people, and they looked at me and said, oh yes, Lord, what else shall we do? Life would be good for me, right? But I would say, hey, you kind of quit cutting people off, and they're like, why, did I cut you off? I mean, that's how it would be. <laughs> so we're quick to say, Lord, forgive us, slow to give it out aren't we? It's where, it's where we're at. That's why I think Jonah relates so well with us. In your outline, God has called us to forgive. Right? Who, who is it? And, and, and you know, we, we oftentimes say, well, you know, I, I just have a little bit of bitterness. Really? So that just means in five years, you'll be like a volcano and something will happen and your head will explode. Okay? So there's a little bit of poison isn't good, right? And yet we're quick to receive, we're slow to give it out. And yet Jesus is our example. Look at Jesus on the cross, Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Right? He's, been, he's been arrested, he's been mocked, he's been slandered, he's been spit on, he's been beaten, he's been falsely accused. And here's what he said, Father, vaporize them, for they do not know what they're doing. Is that what it says? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Sermon on the Mount, right? Perhaps his most famous message. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. For if you forgive someone who deserves it, for if you forgive a man when he has sinned against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Verse 15. But if you do not forgive a man of his sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive you your sins. That's our example, right? That's our example. But it's so tempting and it's so easy to sit here and say, hey, we're in. We're going to heaven. You know, our broken body and our hurt body and so forth, when we get in heaven, we'll be made free. You know, we'll be set free. We've been given a new heart, a new mind, a new life. The old things pass away. Behold, all things are new. I mean, that's where we sit here today in our our little holy huddle. And we sit here and we go, oh man, praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Great song. But do we see the world as needing Christ? We're quick to receive, but are we quick to dispense his grace to the world? And if we're not willing to share, how are they going to know? See, someone shared it with you. Right? Someone share it with you? It's quiet in here. Back to Jonah 4. But the Lord replied. So the Lord is seeking him out. Have you any right to be angry, Jonah? Do you have any right to be upset? 120,000 people repented and turned to you, and you're walking around like a preschooler crying? Verse 5. He does exactly what a preschooler does. Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. He took his chair and he went outside and he sat by the city and he folded his arms. 
And he gave God the quiet treatment. You ever give God the quiet treatment? You ever give your spouse the quiet treatment? Right? Come on. Yeah. It's like, hey, is anything wrong? No. Good. When you get a moment, why don't you tell your face nothing is wrong? Okay? Because I don't think it's connected yet. I'm so glad that everything is so good. (laughs) So he gives him the quiet treatment, grabs his chair. He's going to build a little bungalow outside, takes a hike. He goes out, he makes himself a shelter, sits down under the shade, and he waits to see what will happen in the city. Translation, right? He is waiting to hear that song, burning down the house, right? (laughs) And he's sitting there, and his arms are folded, and he's like, ha, ha, God said 40 days. It's almost here. Go ahead, light them on fire, God. And he's waiting for, but the song never plays. And he's upset with God. Because he doesn't think that they deserve it. So God, in his love and his grace, because remember, the theme is grace and mercy through the book of Jonah. In verse 6, God does something amazing. Then the Lord God provided, right? He provided a fish to swallow him in chapter 2. He provides a vine that made grow overnight to give him shade over his head to ease his discomfort. And that vine made Jonah very happy. Right? We can see where this is going. So he's sitting in this shade tree. He's got his little leaf over his head. His bald head isn't being burnt anymore. He feels comfort and he is completely content and he is completely happy. The vine has made him happy. Verse 7. But at dawn the next day, God, what's the word? A worm which chewed through the vine so that it would wither. Verse 8, when the sun rose, God, a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head, and he grew faint. So he's ready to pass out. So he goes from the shade tree to the worm eating the vine. The vine begins to die. It, goes, it falls away from his head. God turns up the heat. God turns up the, the wind, and it begins to dry him out, and he is very upset. And so he says, I want to die. I want to die. I would rather be dead than alive. This is pretty amazing to me. As I, as I, you, you try to get your mind around it. I mean, it's pretty incredible that he's at a point in his life where he's absolutely just not a happy camper. I mean, I'm waiting for Dr. Phil to roll in. And pulled Jonah aside, right? And I could hear Dr. Phil, right? We all love Dr. Phil. It's like, Jonah, what caused the wheels to fall off your car and land in the ditch? Right? I mean, that, that, that's his line. We need to drag your car out of the ditch, Jonah. Because you are so filled with bitterness in your life. Because Jonah thought he deserved grace. But they didn't. And he's angry that God had blessed them in that way. The word provide, well, go to number three in your outline. So Jonah is not content. He's not very excited about where he is in life. 
You feel that way? Marriage okay? Finances okay? Work? We're going to have a fist fight in a minute. Call the bouncers. He's not happy about where he's at in his life. We're going to get there in a second. Are you excited about where you are? Yeah, that's it. Every week you got something to say. <laughs> I mean me. <laughs> the, word, the, the, the word in there for God provided means appointed. It's important to get. Because this is important to understand. That God provided a fish. God appointed a fish to swallow him. God appointed a vine to grow. God appointed a worm to eat the vine. God appointed the wind to blow and the heat from the sun to amp up. Because there's a lesson in there that we don't worship just the God of the vine that makes us happy. We worship a God who also sees us in other seasons of our life. The temptation is to just worship the God of the vine. When God provides, praise Jesus. When God heals someone who's sick, praise Jesus. When God gives us a job, praise Jesus. When someone sends money to the church unannounced, oh, praise God. Right? And we want to, we want to worship the God of the vine, but are we willing to worship the God of the worm? And are we willing to worship the God of the sun? And are we willing to worship the God of the wind? See, that's tough to do, isn't it? That's a difficult thing to do in our life. And God is teaching Jonah a huge lesson. Because the reality is, Jonah is all wrapped up in himself. And the struggle that you and I have is that we're all wrapped up in ourself. And God wants to grow Jonah's character. And God wants to do stuff in and through him, but he just wants the shade and he wants the coast. He wants to experience the second chance, but he doesn't want them to experience the second chance. And God wants to develop his character. In your outline, number four, is God is more concerned about your spiritual growth than anything else. Okay, And this is, this is a tough lesson to grab a hold of in our life. Let me ask you, do you grow spiritually when you have the leaf over your head and you're coasting? You, you want to know the truth? The truth is, fruitful ministries, whether it be in church life or in parachurch life, all of them are typically birthed from difficulties in someone's life. The, the divorce recovery, right? Postmarital counseling, postmarital family situations, right? Premarital situations. Most of those ministries are birthed not from a leaf over your head, happy, but they're birthed when someone is going through the difficult times in their life. That's when we're motivated to do stuff. But if we just sit on the chair and relax, that, that there's not spiritual growth in, in our life. So in your outline, we say this when it comes to spiritual growth to give you a visual. First of all, is it your head? It comes into your head. There's an illumination of the Holy Spirit. It enlightens you. The scripture comes alive. A message is spoken, a song, whatever. God speaks into your life and it illuminates your mind. And then it translates into your heart. 
And your heart is the convictions that you have in your life. That's the core values. All of us have core values. We may not have them written down, but we all have core values. And it's the core values that motivate us to do certain things and not do certain things. And so God illuminates our mind with the scripture. It translates into convictions in our heart. And it ultimately reveals itself in our actions or our hands. And we become doers of the word. And Jonah's sitting under a shade tree and he's not interested in convictions and he's certainly not interested in being doers. In fact, he didn't even want to go. And yet when we look at our own life, we recognize that the vast majority of ministries start out of people's hardship, not their blessings. And in church life, we want to run from difficult situations and hurts. We want to suppress it. We don't want to deal with it. And then the reality is, God speaks the loudest through those. And so when we suppress it, we're taking a part of the season that God is working in our life, and we're pushing it below grade so that no one hears it and no one knows it. And the reality is, that needs to be surfaced and it needs to be aired for the world to see. And that's what the whole series about Be the Message is. The majority of believers who come to Christ later in life come through tragedy, not because they have a leaf over their head and everything's good. Something's usually wrong in their life and they're reaching out. Verse 9, God said to Jonah, Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do. I'm angry enough to die. And here is the truth about the book of Jonah. The whole book is wrapped up in Jonah. It's all about Jonah. And that's why he doesn't want to go to Nineveh. That's why he isn't interested in seeing God's grace and mercy to someone else. Because his whole life is wrapped up in himself. Now pause. Because it's easy to sit here today in church life, and throw rocks at Jonah, isn't it? It's easy to say, you know what? God should have kept him in the fish for six days, not three. He shouldn't have given him a second chance. It's easy for us to sit here and do that, but here's the question for all of us. Here's the question for all of us. The church answer is, no, Pastor Dan, I'm not selfish. But we don't play church here. We play with truth. Our lives are a battle with ourself. Do you agree with that? You know, when I challenged you last week about fasting, you know what that challenge was? The challenge is you deny yourself for one meal, one day. How'd you do? See, it's tough, isn't it? It's tough. We wrestle with that because we think it's all about us. And when we look at other groups of people, they don't deserve God's grace. We do. Praise God we're going to heaven. But they don't. And you know what prevents us from seeing them as people who desperately need grace? Our hearts are hard. And we're not praying. 
I'll be honest with you. I watch TV, watch the news, I see Christians getting beheaded. If I was commander-in-chief, it would last about six seconds. It would be about six foot below grade, and it would be vapor. That's Pastor Dan in the flesh. But the reality is, they deserve God's grace as much as I do. And that's tough to swallow, isn't it? This is Jonah's problem. This is exactly what Jonah sees. They're not, it's the same area, by the way. They're not Muslims in Jonah's day, but they're not followers of God. And Jonah sees them as savages. They don't deserve it. And when we sit here today, and I'll be honest with you, I, I mean, <laughs> elect me. It'll be over quick. Okay? I mean, I'm not running, but if you want to write me in, go ahead. But they need God's grace just like I needed God's grace. They need God's grace just like you need God's grace. And any time that we diminish ours and elevate theirs, we're looking at it from the wrong perspective. Our hearts aren't soft. We're not really willing to go out and to make a difference. And here's Jonah's struggle. And it's your struggle and it's my struggle and that's why I think it's one of the best books in the Old Testament that really relates to where we're at. How can God love people that I hate? Because you are the instrument of his vessel of love. How are they going to experience it if we're not willing to take his love and grace to them? How can I show grace? To, uh, how can God show grace to people I can't? Tough. This is a struggle. How can I forgive people, or how can God forgive people that I won't? It's tough, isn't it? Now, we're not necessarily just talking about the folks in the Middle East. What about in your home? What about in your family? What about in your workplace? What about in your neighborhood? What about people who've hurt you, who've slandered you, who've abused you, perhaps? Can you show them grace? tough, isn't it? So here's the question that we wrestle with. Is life all about you? And again, I know the church answer, which we don't play, and that's, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm here because I love Jesus. Well, here's a little test. Go home and look at your calendar. Is it about the kingdom of God? Do we not have time to serve in his kingdom? Because we're busy. Well, why are we busy? Because I've got a lot of things I need to do. If we, look, if we were to look into our checkbook, now you're meddling, Pastor Dan. When's this thing over? Eight words, let's go. What's it reveal? See, that's going to reveal what your world is. And you have to strip away the words. Who cares what you say? It's what you do. Right? I mean, that's where we all get tripped up in spiritual growth. We think it's what we know. No, that's crazy. You could know all kinds of... You know any great Bible scholars? You look at their life and it's like, yikes. Because it hasn't translated into their heart and it certainly isn't in their hands. But they can recite every Bible passage known to mankind. And they're always trying to trap you in something. 
But when you look at their life, it's bankrupt. Because words mean nothing. Actions speak. Verse 10. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about the vine, although you did not tend to it and make it grow. It sprung up overnight and it died overnight. Verse verse 11. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? In other words, Jonah, you're focused on you. You're focused on you. And this has been the dilemma of the New Testament church. For God so loved the chosen. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn it, but to save it. And we are the body of Christ. And it's our responsibility to take his grace and his mercy into the world. How are they going to know if we do not tell them? How are they going to experience his grace if we do not show them? How's it going to happen? And that is the body of Christ. And that has been the dilemma all the way back into Old Testament times. Because we get wrapped up in ourselves, And we're in, praise God, they're not, bummer. And we live for ourselves in our life. So here's what we got to do real quick and we're going to wrap it up. You got to die to yourself. You got to die to pride. And you got to die to your right to be offended at God. In other words, when you look at other people groups who do not deserve it, and God has shown his grace and mercy into their life, you have no right to sit back and say, God, it's not fair. Because it's not fair for you to be saved. It's not fair for your soul to be set apart. We have no right. And every day that God waits to send Christ is one more day for those folks to respond to his grace. And as I shared with you, I think I said last week in 1990, it was like an 88. I'm so grateful that the Lord didn't come in 1987 because I would have spent all eternity separated from him. And you have a date too. And there were people probably back years ago that were saying, Lord, just come back, get us out of this crazy place. But I am so grateful that Jesus didn't come. And I had an opportunity to respond to his grace. And every day that waits, and it's a hellhole, and it's hard to look at the news, and it's hard not to get crazy and want to just go postal on folks and all that stuff. But listen, every day that God waits is one day for this world to experience his grace. And there are folks in your family and there's folks in my family and there's folks in our world that desperately need Christ. And we've got to get out of ourself. We've got to die to self, die to pride, and be willing to be used of him. Amen? Let's pray.